let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, um, God, you are just so magnificent, so far above us, uh, Lord, and your uh, control of all things, uh, Lord. That is uh, something that is just hard for us to to fully grasp, to fully accept. Uh, but Lord, it is comforting as well. God, I just uh, pray that as we consider who you are and what you accomplish by your will. Uh, Lord, that just we, would, we would love you, that we would be in awe of you. Uh, Lord, just that, um, God, we would be changed by knowing who you are. Um, Lord, just be with us in this discussion that we would uh, learn, that we would be submissive to your word. Um, Lord, and just that you would be glorified in all things. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, this morning we're gonna we're gonna tackle a very controversial topic. We are now to the sovereignty of God. So um, it's possible we'll spend a little extra time on this, not because it's like the most important attribute or anything like that. I know, it's like, you know, reform people kind of get the. You know the the stigma that's like oh all you talk about is the sovereignty of God, but um, but but if we spend more time on it, it's more because it's um, it's one of the attributes that's the 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 most difficult to grasp, the the least accepted by people, and uh, the most often distorted uh, compared to a lot of the other attributes. So we're probably going to spend a fair amount of time discussing kind of the ins and outs of it. Um, so, as usual, we'll start with the definition. What do we mean when we talk about that God is sovereign? What is the sovereignty of God? He is in control over all. Hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent definition. He's in control over everything, right? Um, familiar terminology, uh, God ordains all things whatsoever come to pass, right? That's straight out of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, I actually want to read the first couple paragraphs of chapter 3 of the Westminster Confession of God's Eternal Decree. It says, uh, and yeah, if you want, you can follow along in your in your hymnal, because uh, it's in there. Um, but uh, paragraphs 1 and 2 there of chapter 3, it says, God, from all eternity, did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, Yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. Now that's a, that's a pretty, you know, um, thorough statement. Um, obviously it's in 17th century English, so that's a, it's a little harder to, to follow. But, um, but basically, I mean... The idea is that God is controlling everything, that everything that happens is all under God's sovereign control. Um, and 
Contrary to popular opinion, that does not make God uh, the author of sin or the author of evil. Um, and it does not uh, offer violence to the will of the creature. Um, those are uh, a couple of objections that, uh, that, you know, that the Westminster Assembly was aware of and specifically wanted to say it doesn't do that. Um, James White, a, uh, a famous uh, Christian teacher, um, writing on the sovereignty of God, said this. He said, Nothing is outside of his control. Nothing is without purpose. There are no renegade atoms in the universe. Nothing that is beyond the positive decree of God. This extends not only to inanimate objects, galaxies, stars, planets, earthquakes, hurricanes, landslides, etc., but every aspect of human history, personal relationships, and most importantly, the life of every man, woman, and child, their actions, even their own choices. That's pretty extensive there. Everything is covered under the sovereignty of God. Everything um, is a part of God's decree. And again, this is, this is controversial. Um, if you find yourself saying, I don't know if I believe this, there's... That's a, that's a pretty common reaction. But hopefully we can see from Scripture that this is the case. Um, I do want to address uh, one uh, misconception, I guess, uh, one false definition of sovereignty, because most professing Christians will say, well, yeah, I believe in the sovereignty of God, but they don't believe it in the way that we've defined it here. Um, and so they have a tendency to equate uh, the sovereignty of God with his omnipotence. Basically saying, oh, well, yes, God is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. But that doesn't mean that he actively decrees everything that happens. Um, and so it's important that we understand that that's not sovereignty. Um, when we're talking about the sovereignty of God, we're talking about him actively decreeing everything that happens. Uh, whatsoever comes to pass. Anybody clear on that? Is that no questions there? Okay, so we're going to begin by attempting to establish this truth based on Scripture, um, and then if the Lord grants us time, we will look at uh, two objections to the doctrine uh, of what we saw there in the Westminster Confession. Um, does this make God the author of sin, and uh, does this do violence to the will of the creature? Um, and so if those objections come to your mind as we look at the scriptures, um, you know, you, 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 you hear, you know, these statements about the sovereignty of God in scripture, and you say, well, it, it can't mean that, because then, that, then God would be the author of evil. Or it can't mean that, because then, well, then, then man doesn't have a free will. Um, I would urge you to just to realize, like, there are answers to those questions, and we will hopefully get to those. Um, and so you still have to ask yourself the question, well, what does the passage mean? If the passage is asserting the absolute sovereignty of God, how can you understand it? And don't just dismiss it because, well, it's contradictory to what I think must be true. So. All right, so let's look at some scripture, because this is, this is definitely a very biblical doctrine. Um, Isaiah chapter 46 verses 9 and 10 it says remember the former things of old 
for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So there we see God saying, he's telling you what's going to happen at the end, right at the beginning. He's declaring, this, this is the way it's going to end up. Um, and he doesn't just say, hey, I'm predicting the future. He's saying, my counsel shall stand, um, and I will accomplish all my purpose. So God has a purpose in everything that's going to happen. Uh, he has all history planned out with a purpose for every single thing in there, and he declares it from the beginning the way it's going to end up. Um, one that's kind of trivial, but uh, um, still still relevant in our day. I mean, people play games, right? You you roll dice and hope that they come up with good numbers. And um, Proverbs sixteen thirty three says, "The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord." So, Scripture affirms that you roll a die, what it comes up with, that's that's what it's. God ordained what it would come up with. Um, so think about that when you're playing games. <laughs> um, Ephesians 1.11 um, says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been, been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So does that, does that exclude anything? No, right? He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Um, Psalm 135, verse 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in the heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. So, whatever God wants to do, he does it. He's not restrained by anything in this world, by um, any decisions of mankind. Um, he accomplishes whatever he wants to do. Um, Isaiah fourteen twenty seven. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Um, Psalm one fifteen three. Our God is in the heavens; He does all that He pleases. Um, Isaiah forty three thirteen. This is God speaking. Uh, also, henceforth I am He. There is none who can deliver from My hand. I work. And who can turn it back? That's pretty, like, that's pretty clear, right? Pretty extensive control over all things that happen, um, and really hard to, really hard to gainsay. Um, you know, specifically, the one of the quotes I gave uh, at the beginning talked about uh, God having control over hurricanes and earthquakes and stuff like that. Um, does that. Does that sound right? Is or is that? I mean, I've heard some people say, "I was like, well, that's the work of Satan. God's not. God's not behind, you know, a, a big hurricane that that kills a bunch of people." What do we think about that? Is that the work of Satan? Is that the work of God? Creation is cursed, and the hurricane okay. is a um, physical, a physical evil. So it's the result of the curse. Right? God is sovereign over that. Okay. He doesn't allow it. 
allows, I'm sorry. He allows it to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not that you orchestrate the pain or anything, but it is for his purpose and his glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but he's in control of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <coughs> scripture is full of things that state that God is in control of nature. Um, Psalm 147, verses 15 through 18. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. <coughs> Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. God's in control of all of that. Um, an example of Jesus showing his deity um, is the same type of thing, right? Mark chapter 4, verse 37 through 41. It says, And a great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat. And this is when the Jesus and the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee. Um, so the boat was already filling. Uh, but he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, speaking of, of Jesus. Um, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So what did they see? What did they realize? have control over the elements. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what was their reaction? Well, who is this? I mean, yeah. men don't have yeah. control over the elements. That's right. Right. And they were afraid too, right? It's pretty, pretty scary when you come into the presence of the power of God like that. Isaiah 45, verses 5 and 7. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. That people may know from the rising of the sun uh, and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So even when a calamity strikes, God's behind that. Um, Matthew chapter 10 verse 29 uh, Jesus says are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father and the idea there is, is like I mean a sparrow is like from, from our perspective just like really not that important of a thing um, but yet every single time a sparrow dies anywhere on the world throughout all of history it's according to the will of God He's in control of all of that, even those insignificant things. But here's the real kicker. What about what about what about people? What about human beings? What about um, what about us? You know, we're made in the image of God. We have a will. We make choices. We're intelligent. We think. We speak. Um, does God have control over us? Numerous examples in scripture. Yeah, there are numerous examples in scripture. A God hardens Pharaoh's heart mm-hmm. is a very famous one. But also, I was just looking at Isaiah. Um, 
you know, he's talking about how I'm going to besiege Jerusalem. Well, it's the people, there's four nations that he's going to bring up. They're going to besiege mm-hmm. Jerusalem. But he's controlling them. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. It's uh, it's counterintuitive because we we you know we think we're making our own decisions and we are. We're going to talk about that you know when we get to the to the question of you know does it destroy the 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 freedom of the person? Um, but this is an inescapable truth from Scripture. Um, well, it's not just choices. It's it's all sorts of things about people. Um, Acts seventeen twenty six. Um, says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries uh, and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And so God sovereignly established where every person would live. That's was uh, within his decree. Um, another thing, um, Exodus 4, verse 11, uh, then the Lord said to him, speaking to Moses, he said, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seen, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So there we see God saying, I'm in control of all that. Somebody has some kind of physical malady, that's me. And, of course, the context there is Moses saying, hey, I don't speak real well. And God's saying, look, I I can take care of that. It's all in my control. Um, Because God is sovereign uh, over all of that. Um, when it comes to rulers, I mean, I know that, that one thing that throughout history, people have always, that's been a source of anxiety, is like, who's in charge right now? Uh, and what does that mean for me? Um, but the Bible is very clear about who's in charge of who is in charge. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, uh, verses 34 through 35, Nebuchadnezzar tells us this. Um, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So Nebuchadnezzar, at the you know at the time, the most powerful king probably on earth, um, and he realized that when he defied the Lord and tried to take credit for everything that he did, as if that was all from him, um, you know, God struck him with with that madness, and he sent he went out and lived as a beast, and then he came to realize, like, uh, God's in charge here, not me. He's the one that decides who's in control of the kingdoms. Psalm 33, uh, verses 8 through 11. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. So what happens if the nations make plans against God? I mean, we've certainly seen that in our day and in our country, right? I mean, the American government is not the most godly government. Um, 
might think, well, you know, they're they're opposed to God, and in a lot of ways they seem to be winning. But what does Scripture tell us about that? God's purpose will stand, right? His counsel is the one that will stand. Everyone else's counsel that is opposed to him will fail. Ultimately. Um, In Psalm 139, it gets more personal. Um, Verse 16, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. So every one of his days, it's all written in God's book. Every last thing that's going to happen to him throughout his whole life. God is sovereign over all of that. Jeremiah 10, 23. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Why not? Why isn't it in man to direct his steps? Should be an easy one. Sorry, I guess I don't have enough questions today. You guys aren't, aren't, because you're you're quiet. (laughs) It's God, right? God is the one who directs our steps. Um, There's a whole... um, string of statements in the book of Proverbs and I know we've, we've looked at them as we've gone through um, but you don't necessarily see the full force of them you know, because they, they are slightly isolated because um, I've got one here from Proverbs 16 sorry, two from Proverbs 16, one from Proverbs 19, one from Proverbs 20, one from Proverbs 21 so it just it's, they're slightly spread out but um, it does, if you just read them all together, it paints a, a pretty clear picture uh, Proverbs 16.1 uh, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Uh, 16 verse 9 The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19.21 uh, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 20.24 a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? And then Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So there we see, God is just absolutely sovereign, even over the decisions of mankind. Um, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 37 and 38 says, Who has spoken, and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? And of course that, you know, that really raises the issue is like, oh, well, is God the author of evil then? And uh, Lord willing, we will address that. Um, but we see, it's like, has anybody spoken anything and it actually happened? unless God commanded it. I mean, it's a rhetorical question. The answer should be, well, no. No one's ever said, this is what's going to be, and then it happened, but God didn't plan it. No. God planned it all. God is sovereign over all of it. What What about evil spirits? Is God sovereign over evil spirits, or are those outside of his control? What do you think? 
obviously he's sovereign over them in I mean there's n- numerous examples of uh, just I mean if he wasn't sovereign over them Christ wouldn't have been able to cast them out he wouldn't have been able to order them and they obey mm-hmm. so yes he is sovereign over mm-hmm. them yeah. Yeah. and yeah and that's a good point it's like that's another one of the things that demonstrates the deity of Christ he is um, not by anyone else's authority but by his own authority casting out demons um, one of the um, I guess one of the, the big passages that shows that God is sovereign over what um, evil spirits do particularly Satan um, is from the opening of the book of Job um, Job chapter 1 verses 6 through 12 um, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them the Lord said to Satan from where have you come Satan answered the Lord and said from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it and the Lord said to Satan have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil then Satan answered the Lord and said does Job fear God for no reason have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions uh, and his possessions have increased in the land but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face and the Lord said to Satan behold all that he has is in your hand only against him do not stretch out your hand so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord so what do we see there? What's the what's the the relationship between God, Satan, and Job that we see in this? We see that God had protected Job mm-hmm. first off. Yep. And Satan had to actually get permission before he could attack. And he, throughout the book of Job, he had to get permission for every step further he took. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because God's very clear. It's like, okay, I'm going to give you permission to do this to Job, but here's the limit. You can't, you can't do this. So he's just absolutely in control of everything that Satan does. Um, I, I think the thing that's interesting about that, Chris, is that Satan is evil. Mm-hmm. So there's no qualm whatsoever in Satan to do that which he ought not to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so for him to be so timid before God shows the absolute restraint and the hold that God has over him that he would almost cower in one sense in the presence of God right. because he has he had no problem to try to overthrow God's throne mm-hmm. so why would he not continue to come against the Lord but he can't mm-hmm. that's the thing he can't right because God is sovereign right yeah so yeah and there's a lot of people that will try to rescue God from the the charge of you know the God is the author of evil um, and they will do so by basically investing Satan with sovereignty and saying that, well, you know, when bad things happen on this earth, when hurricanes come and earthquakes and people die and all these things, this it's just Satan's work and God would stop it if he could, but he can't. You know, and that kind of goes back to our discussion of the omnipotence of God as well. Um, but the fact is, is that all of it is according to God's plan and he allows all of it with a purpose um, and Satan is just completely um, restrained by whatever God either allows him to do or doesn't allow him to do 
couple more examples um, with lesser spirits. First uh, Samuel sixteen fourteen uh, says, "Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him." And so there you see King Saul. Um, there's a harmful spirit that comes and torments him, and it's you know it says from the Lord. Now again, we don't want to uh, attribute evil to God, but in some sense or another, God is allowing this to come. Um, he's in control of whether or not Saul is tormented by a by a harmful spirit. Uh, and then, um, as Mark pointed out appropriately in Mark uh, chapter five, verses twelve and thirteen, uh, and they begin. Uh, this is this is Jesus having a conversation with a demon possessed man, um, and the demons within this man said, and they uh, they began saying to him. Send us into the pigs and let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out uh, and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So there we see Jesus directly exercising his sovereignty over the demonic spirits. So God is in control of them. So God is in control of the world. He's in control of nature. He's in control of man. He's in control of evil spirits. He is in sovereign control of everything. Period. I want to read a, a lengthy passage from Job. Um, turn there if you want. It might make it easier if you if you read along. Uh, it's from Job chapter twelve, um, and it's it's something that Job says in there that I think is I'm not sure summary is the is the right word because it's kind of lengthy but it's a it's a good summary it's a it's a good encapsulation of what it means when we talk about the sovereignty of God and I just I just really like how thorough it is in expressing God's control of everything um, so I wanted to read this this is job uh, chapter 7 sorry chapter 12. Verses 7 through 25. Um, Job says, But ask ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the heaven, and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you, Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words, and the palate taste food? Tastes food as the palate tastes food. Wisdom is with the aged, and understanding and length of days. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. If he tears down, none can be none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, none can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped, and judges he makes fools. He looses the bonds of kings and binds a waistcloth on their hips. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows the mighty. He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of elders. He pours contempt on princes and loosens the belt of the strong. He uncovers the deeps out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great, and he destroys them. He enlarges nations, 
and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Now, and that doesn't necessarily cover everything, but it's, I mean, it's just a really, I think, good way of, of in, a, in a poetic fashion, I guess, just really pulling out all the stops to express that God is in control of absolutely everything. So that is um, at least a good sampling of the biblical evidence for the sovereignty of God. Does anybody have any questions about that? Is that all clear? Any thoughts? Okay. Well, this does raise questions. People, People ask questions about this. So the first one we want to look at is the question, is man responsible? Can man be responsible? If my very choices um, are determined by the decree of God, can I actually be responsible for my actions? I mean, that's a serious question, right? I mean, that's that's the question that, that rises from it. Um, and this isn't necessarily an easy answer. Um, or an easy question to answer. Um, but we just have to try to look at it biblically. Um, you have, you have the, uh, I guess the, the, the way I would, I would kind of frame the discussion is to say that there's, there's basically three ways that you can come at this. Um, but most people assume that there's two ways you can come at it. Um, and so it's important that we understand there is a third option. Um, the way that frequently people approach it is they say, well, if God decrees even my very actions, then it's impossible for me to make free choices. Um, and that would be what would be called libertarian free will. Um, and then... Uh, and well, then they would say, and the Bible teaches that man makes choices; he's responsible for them, uh, and therefore God can't actually be sovereign in the sense that He decrees everything that happens. So that's the that's the libertarian free will position. Um, you could also say, well, yes, it's true that God can't be sovereign, and man still make his own free choices. Therefore, uh, since the Bible teaches that God is sovereign, then man isn't really free. Um, and that would be a form of determinism. But there is a third option. Um, it's been called compatibilism. And it's the idea that God can decree everything that happens, even down to your choices, and yet you still make your choices and you are responsible for them. Now, how that can be is something that is... Uh, I don't know if there's really any way to figure that out, um, but... The fact is, is that the Bible teaches that man makes decisions that he's responsible for, and it teaches that God is sovereign. And so to say, well, those two can't be compatible with each other, and therefore we have to choose one or the other, you are forced to just abandon large sections of what the Bible teaches. Um, but the approach of the compatibilist is to say, well, let's just take all of what the Bible says, even if we don't understand how it can be, 
that we are still responsible for our choices, even though God is determining them all. Um, I know that's kind of kind of heady and, and difficult, but hopefully as we look at some passages, you'll see um, that that is the biblical approach. Because some of these, some passages actually kind of bring these things together. Um, you guys are undoubtedly familiar with the story of uh, Joseph and his brothers. I know that we've um, we've uh, we've read part of that in um, just in the in the worship service as we've been reading through the book of Genesis. Um, but in Genesis uh, 45, verse 7, uh, Joseph says, "And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors." And then in chapter 50, verses 19 to 20. Uh, it says, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about, uh, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So, why is Joseph talking about God's intention here? Because wasn't it, wasn't it Joseph's brothers? Didn't they sell him into slavery? Wasn't it their choice? They meant it for evil. Yeah, and they meant it for evil, right? So they committed an act, and they meant it for evil. So, so why is Joseph talking about God's intention in the actions of his brothers? Because God was in control, and he even says what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Mm-hmm. And God was in control and used their evil action. Mm-hmm. To bring Joseph to Egypt to advise Pharaoh to allow God's word right. through Joseph to come to the Egyptians. So we have an example of people making a decision to do an evil thing, and are, are they responsible for their evil decisions? Does the Bible suggest that they're not? No. No, they're responsible for their evil decision, but in their evil decision. God had sovereignly chosen, I'm going to send Joseph to Egypt for my purposes. And so God was working in their choices. And it wasn't just that God knew that they were going to make the choice. And so it's like, oh, let me see if I can make something good out of it. Uh, I mean, the language is very specific. It says, God meant it for good. God had intentionality in this. He planned this. This was part of his sovereign decree. Um, now, it's very hard for us to wrap our minds around that. That God is planning things. Um, he is determining the decisions of people, but yet they are evil things that they mean for evil, and they're responsible for them. Uh, but it's just that both of those things work together. Another example, a slightly lengthy passage here. This is in Isaiah chapter 10. May have been what Ben was referring to. I'm not sure he mentioned Isaiah, but I don't know. I don't know exactly where you read in Isaiah. It's, I was. It's, a, it's all yeah, over Isaiah. Yeah, it is all over Isaiah. <laughs> um, but uh, Isaiah 10, we have something pretty explicit here. Um, so this is uh, this is this is really interesting and relevant to what we're talking about. So Isaiah 10, starting in verse 1. Uh, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees, and the writers who keep writing oppression, to turn aside the needy from justice, 
to rob the poor of my people of their right, uh, that the widows may be their spoil, and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar? And so there he's, he's talking about the evil of the people of Israel and him, you know, that he's going to bring judgment on them. Um, and uh, continue on there. To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is still is stretched out still. Woe to Assyria. Now see here he switches because he's, first he's like, woe on you Israel. But now he's, the Assyrians are going to come and they're going to punish Israel. But now there's a shift and he says, woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. Now what's, what's a rod? Sorry. Tool of discipline. Yeah, it's a tool of discipline. You're gonna you're gonna beat somebody with that thing, right? Yeah. And so he's describing Assyria as the rod of of his anger, of God's anger. That's what he's gonna use to punish Israel. But he's saying, "Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff uh, in their hands is my fury against a godless nation. I send them, and against the people of my wrath, I command him to take spoil and to seize plunder." and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. But he does not so intend, and his heart does not so think. But it is in his heart to destroy, and to cut off nations, not a few. For he says, Are not my commanders all kings? Is not Karno like Carchemish? Is not Harmath like Arpad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols as I have done to Samaria and her images? When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant part of the king of Assyria and the boastful look of his eyes. For he says, By the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom... For I have understanding, and I remove the boundaries of the peoples, and plunder their treasures. Like a bull I bring down those who sit in, sit on thrones. My hand has found, like a nest, the wealth of the peoples. And as one gathers eggs that have been forsaken, so I have gathered all the earth. And there was none that moved a wing, or opened the mouth, or chirped. Shall the axe boast over him who hews with it? Or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? As if a rod should wield him who lifts it? Or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood? Therefore the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors, and under his glory a burning will be kindled, like the burning of fire. The light of Israel will become a fire, on his, uh, and his Holy One a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns, and briars in one day. So, what do we see with the king of Syria? What's going on in his head as he's punishing Israel uh, for their wickedness? I'm going to conquer the nations, and mm-hmm. one nation is as is the same as any other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I mean, what is he? How does he view the God of Israel? He's just another another god from yeah. another country. It's like all those other countries that I conquered and their gods, they weren't able to protect them. It's not like the god of Israel is going to be able to protect them from me. I mean, that's what's going on in his, in his heart. 
But is he just doing this on his own initiative? No, he's he's being sent by God, right? God is using the king of Assyria as an instrument of punishment for the people of Israel. But king of Assyria, he doesn't know this. He's making his own decisions. And is he responsible for his decisions? Is God going to do something about the fact that he did this evil thing, going and conquering these people? Yeah, God says, you're in trouble, buddy. It's like, well, how can that be? If God raised up the king of Assyria and sent him against the people of Israel to punish them for their sin, how in the world could God punish the king of Assyria for what he did? Couldn't the king of Assyria say, well, I was just doing what you told me, God? The answer to that to me is uh, clearly Romans 9. Uh-huh, yeah. It's uh, just going, I mean, starting in verse 14, is what shall we then say? Is there justice on God's part? By no means. And it continues to explain that mm-hmm. God is still a just God, and we are responsible for the action that we take. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, we are all born into sin. We are all dead in our sin naturally. So we deserve any bad thing that we get on this life. And he chooses to have mercy on a few people. Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, so yes, so even when he uses us as sinful people <coughs> to bring about bad things, it is, we're, we're following the own inclinations of our own heart. We are we naturally want to do evil, but God's just using that to, to bring about his glorious purposes. Yeah. So, so the point is that people talk as if people did not want to do those things, but God made them do those things. Yeah. At the Ben's point, God's just you know, he's using them and they're just following the inclination of their hearts. You know, so it's yeah. not like uh, he's um, making them go against their own right. will. Right. Now, but passages like this are a real problem for somebody who doesn't embrace compatibilism. Because if you say, well, either God is sovereignly ordaining everything that happens, or man is making free choices that he's responsible for, you can't have both. What do you do with passages like this? Because then you either would have, on the determinism side, God is just using Assyria, and he couldn't justly punish them for it, because I mean, they're just they're just a tool in his in his hand. They don't they're not doing anything. They're not making any decisions. They're not following the evil inclinations of their heart. Um, or if you have the other side, well, it's just the king of Assyria just doing evil things. Um, and you know maybe God's like, well, maybe I can come up with some good out of this, but he's not ordaining it. But yet, what Scripture teaches us, and that's what has to be our definition of who God is, of the way He, the way He is, the way He operates. Um, God somehow is ordaining all of these things happening, and these people are doing what they choose to do, and they're responsible for their evil actions. So you have to be able to have those things work together. Again, how that works, I don't know. But if we're going to be faithful to Scripture, we have to accept that they do. Another one, we have crucifixion. Um, portrayed in exactly the same type of terminology. Um, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Um, Peter says, uh, 
men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So there we have an evil act. These people crucifying Jesus. But it's exactly according to the definite plan of God. God decreed this from all eternity that Christ would would suffer for his people, right? But yet you have evil men doing evil acts that they're responsible for that bring it about. Um, Very similar in chapter 4, verses 24 through 30. It says, And when they heard it, uh, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of uh, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves uh, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs of wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So there we see, it's like, there's these evil men who have set themselves against the against God, against his messenger, and uh, they have crucified Jesus. But it's all exactly um, what God had planned. It's um, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God still holds them responsible. Back mm-hmm. in Acts 2, after the, he, Peter finishes, they say, when, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be yeah. Still holding them responsible, still. Yes. Repent. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have to hold those things together. Um. Just look at a couple more things. We're almost out of time, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to hold the is God the author of evil over till next time. But um, I, I did I didn't expect to get completely finished, but I do want to look at um, just a couple more things with reference to the the crucifixion because there's a couple more statements in Scripture that that kind of that, that illustrate this. So back in Isaiah 53, um, verse 10, it says. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Uh, he has put him to grief. Uh, that's the, the main thing. When, it, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. Uh, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So there we see, again, talking about the, the crucifixion beforehand there, um, that it's the will of the Lord to crush him. Um, does that mean that God's responsible for the death of Jesus? Well, in some sense, in that he predestined it, but the ones who were morally responsible for the evil of killing Jesus, that's not God. It's, it's Herod and Pontius Pilate and the, the Jews and the Gentiles 
Um, it's you know all these people that came together and did this wicked thing of putting Jesus to death. They're the ones that are responsible for the evil act. But in that, it was God's will to crush him. That was that was God's plan and purpose. And it doesn't take away from the the free will of the people who chose to crucify an innocent man. And it doesn't take away from their responsibility. And then, in respect to Judas, um, Luke 22, 21 through... Uh, sorry, sorry, Luke 22, 21 through 22, yes. Um, it says, Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And so there you see, again, both sides. Jesus knows. It's like, I'm going to be betrayed. That's It's planned, it's determined, that's the way it's going to go. But the guy who betrays me, woe to him. It's, it's not. He doesn't get off the hook because it's like, oh, well, God predestined it. He made me do it. Like, no. Judas chose to do it. He followed the own, his, his own evil inclinations in his heart and chose to betray Jesus. And he's responsible for that. But that doesn't take away from the sovereignty of God in decreeing that that's what would happen. So hopefully that illustrates um, that these things can coexist. Um, and, uh, and that is where we will have to end. If there's any comments or questions or anything before we close? All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we just are in awe of you, how great you are, um, how unsearchable are your judgments, and how deep is your wisdom. And uh, Lord, we, just, we can't uh, hope to have a full understanding of these things, but Lord, we thank you that you have given us uh, a glimpse, that you have given us a little bit of a picture of who you are, and Lord, I just pray that that would uh, just cause us to love you more, to uh, just raise our voices in, in praise to you. Um, Lord, we just, we just thank you uh, that in your sovereignty you have saved us, you have redeemed us. We are so wicked and so deserving of punishment ourselves. Um, but God, you have shown mercy to us. And Lord, I just pray that we would just continue to be changed by um, learning who you are. And uh, Lord, that you would uh, work mightily as we continue to worship you this morning. I pray these things in Christ's name.